Hey everyone, this is Matt Keeman, co-founder of Envision Consulting, which is a national consulting company providing recruiting and strategy to nonprofits across the country. And also, I am the podcast guru of Nonprofit on the Rocks, and with us as always is Ashley Watterson, our producer. How are you, Ashley? I'm doing great, and I like the title of guru. If you get a new title, you're no longer host, you're guru, what am I? You're still mediocre. I have not managed to shift my position off of mediocre. Okay, got it. Well, do you want me to tell you why and why I have a bone to pick with you, my friend? Might as well. Might as well start the new year this way. Go for it. So it's 2023. This is our very first show in 2023. And by the way, our last show in season four, which I feel like is a big deal. However, I think that our last show that we produced was like three months ago. And I need you to know that I feel like it's no fault of my own and it's all you. It's a very interesting take on why we haven't done another show because which one of us has the responsibility and has to make the time to actually do the interviews for me to edit and put out? Because as I recall, you've been on how many cruises since our last show? At least two. Listen, listen, there is Wi-Fi on a cruise ship. There exactly. are- there are phenomenal people out there who are just dying to get on this show, Ashley. And on top of that, I work my ass off. I deserve like a three-week trip on a cruise for the group. No one is denying you deserving these cruises, for sure. But if in fact there are all these people on the cruise that are dying for you to interview them, why weren't you interviewing them? And also, you can't have it both ways. Either you deserve a break and ergo the show can pause because you deserve a break or you should be interviewing people on the cruise. So I'm thinking that I 100% have won this argument. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I just want everybody to know yet again, it has been 19 years since we have dropped a show and I am very excited about this one because this is with my co-founder and partner of Envision Consulting, Allison Fuller. And I think, I hope this is one of the best ones yet. Yeah, this was a really fun one to listen to, and I'm really excited for our listeners to get the chance because you and Allison have a longstanding friendship and partnership, and the interplay between you two that makes your partnership so successful, I think also makes this podcast really fun and successful because you guys are so funny, you're so smart, um, and I think that the listeners are going to learn a lot both about you and about nonprofit from listening. I have a few questions for you, Ashley. Okay. The first is, this is our last show in season four. So does that mean we've done 40 or 50 shows? I'm really bad at math. <laughs> well, this is 40. This is 40. So I've actually interviewed 40 people. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. And people are still listening. I mean, we think so. Either that or you're just downloading a bunch of times every time the episode airs so that our numbers are skewed. Okay. I just wanted to know that. The second thing is with everything that I talked to Allison about, do you think that we're ever going to be hired again by any nonprofit who's listening? Well, I think that was kind of one of the challenges of my job as an editor. And one of the things that I really took seriously was trying to edit this episode so that you two could continue your job. Mm. Mm. Uh, and that people would hire you again. Yeah, you have a hard job. You really, really do. Which is also why the episode is five minutes long. 
<laughs> All right. I'm excited. Everything that's going to be amazing on this show because you've edited it down so that we will continue to get hired. I hope people get like some nuggets of information as to why we should care about nonprofit as to why we should want to run nonprofits and work at nonprofits and also how to interview. That's really key. So on that note, Ashley, is there anything else that you would like to leave with our listener before we go into our show? Just that we hope everyone's off to a good 2023 and that they enjoy this interview with your partner at Envision, Allison Fuller. Hello, my friend and business partner, Allison Fuller. How are you this evening? Is it evening? Are we counting this as evening? Is it only played on evenings? How do podcasts work? Well, let's be honest. No one's going to listen to this anyway. We're talking to ourselves. Don't worry about it. Then I'm wonderful. <laughs> okay, so I have to pour myself a drink and I just want you to know I'm nervous. I see you every day and I'm actually nervous for this. Well, did you prep it all? Are you kidding? Have I ever prepped in my whole life? No. So that's par for the course. Well, I'm going to pour myself a drink. What are you having tonight? So first of all, I want you to know that the idea of drinking on a recording is verboten for me. So I went through a whole crisis about what my drink says about me, which I did this networking event the other day about what your drink said about you. And I picked the worst possible drink. It was a great drink. I just, my explanation was terrible. So anyway, I searched in my fridge for something sort of sophisticated and couldn't do it. All I found were several pool drinks, a frozen frosé that comes in a plastic packet from Costco. I don't know if you're familiar, but they're the mom packets. Just put them straight in the, in the freezer and then you, you can drink at the pool. But my pool recently outlawed drinking at the pool. So anyway, we'll find another way. But that's a long story to say. I have a glass of Sauvignon Blanc. Okay, well, I'm pouring myself some bourbon because I need it for tonight. And before we start, and let me just say, Allison, if this is not the best podcast that I've ever recorded, we should never be hired again. Deal? Deal. It works for me, though, because there is no bar as far as I'm concerned, because I have yet to listen to any of your podcasts, <laughs> at least in their entirety. I know you don't listen because you don't get my references in the office. It is a little hurtful. It's a little hurtful. I think for all those people who are listening to this, I think all those people know the Matt and Allison show. It's going to be real annoying and they're going to hate us or they're just going to laugh their asses off the whole time. I think they're mostly going to hate us. That's why I've avoided doing this because Suzanne and I did one together. And let me tell you, it was a little boring. I may have put myself to sleep. So we knew you had to do it because you're you and charming and a wonderful conversationalist. Mm -hmm. And so we thought it would be a better idea for you to do it than us. Well, I will tell you, Allison, that I think we have 10,000 downloads altogether. So for 40 episodes, that's not bad. That's at least 200 an episode, right? That's not terrible. Wait, can you download an episode multiple times? So was it just possible that you just downloaded it all night? I will not answer that question. It's hard to be me. I need the validation constantly because if not, my voice can't be whining any more than it is now. I know that about you. <laughs> <laughs> So here's my first question. All right. How many times on a daily basis do you pinch yourself realizing how lucky you are to work with me? At least once, Matt. Every day I go to the shrine I have of you in my house 
and I have a small house, so it's a small shrine, but size doesn't matter. It's all about impact. Anyway, I go to the shrine of you every day and I light a little candle and I pour a little bourbon out for you every day. So every day, it's an honor to work with you, Matt, and to absorb just your fountain of knowledge and everybody should be so lucky. I'm curious how you're able to say that with a straight face. You're just a really good bullshit artist. You, you are really brilliant, more so than you give yourself credit for. So I do enjoy working with you most of the time. <laughs> okay, so let's go back 12 years. 12 years ago today, you and I were sitting at a bar in Hollywood. And I was getting you drunk, as I normally do. And I said... Hey, Allison, let's quit our jobs and just start this company with no business plan and no money and no clients and no more income. And you said, okay, if you could go back to that dumb woman sitting at the bar next to me drinking, would you do it all over again? Would you? Every day of my life, I would do it all over again. Every day you would. Every day. Most days I would. Okay. Most Most days. Most days. There are days when, I mean, being an entrepreneur is hard, right? I love the fountain of ideas. I love the creativity. I love our clients. I have a deep philosophical desire to do what we do. And so I love it. But there are days that it's hard. And man, it would be easier to work for somebody else. It's a tough time to have a small business. On a percentage basis, how many times do you want to murder me? Twice monthly. Twice monthly? I mean, I think part of it too is that you're just so rarely there. That's a good one. Have you ever asked yourself why? Why? I'm not I mean, that? I assume it's recording this podcast. I mean, what is this, your third episode? <laughs> so I want to rewind to when we started talking about the, the podcast. And we work for a company called Envision Consulting. I don't know if you've mentioned it. But what we bring to the table is this. If we could write a book of the things that we learn in nonprofit, some people's hair would stand up on the back of their neck. It is a wild ride with some of these nonprofits. And so we were, wow, what if we could create a podcast around that? And so the original concept about nonprofit on the rocks was that they were on the rocks going through some sort of crisis. But then the conversation also became, Matt, if everybody had the opportunity to sit and listen to one of your happy hours, as I have had many times, which is why I don't need the podcast, because I've been to literally hundreds of your happy hours. They are the most engaging things that I've ever witnessed. And people are so unbelievably honest with you that I thought it would be maybe more beneficial for you to just interview really amazing people that we know plenty of and have your back and forth and really great content would come out of it. And so far, your listener agrees. Uh, I mean, if people hire us after this, I don't know. Whose idea was this to do this interview? I mean... You don't need any money anymore, right? You're cool being broke. I've taken an oath of uh, semi-poverty for the rest of my life, so. (laughs) Here's what I think would be interesting for our listener. Number one, I do want to talk about you and why you left a high-paying job with the corner office in Beverly Hills and a credit card to go out and take people to fancy lunches. (laughs) Work for $12 an hour at a nonprofit. We can get to that in a minute. I also want to talk about what it is to have a company. I mean, I know we joke about it all the time, but it takes a lot to do this. This is not easy. And so I want to talk about that. And finally, we do need to give some really phenomenal examples of terrible interviews of people who should not be working in nonprofit, people who should be working in nonprofit, and maybe some how-tos, maybe a one-on-one. What do you think? Wow. 
I don't know, are these two hours? People are going to listen to this on their drive to New York from LA. That's how I think this is going to oh, go. Wow. Okay. Sure. All right. So let's start with you, my friend. I know you're not talking about yourself, but I want to. So when I met you, you had put out there that you wanted to get into nonprofit and get a job in nonprofit. Do you want to explain to folks what you were doing and why in the world you were like, yes, I want to give back and I want to be a nonprofit? See, I think you did prepare for this, so I don't believe you. But sort of, I mean, I moved to L.A. for my husband and I had worked in a real estate office since high school and then college. And then so we moved to L.A. and I got a job promptly in an escrow office. And through sheer luck and really amazing, graceful bosses who taught me more than I deserved to as a 20-ish year old, I became an escrow officer in 2006, which is the only time a 26-year-old can become an escrow officer. I had no business doing that. So it was 2006, 2007, and Things were not feeling as good anymore in, in real estate. And, and I was a residential escrow officer and I really, really liked what I was doing in the evenings, which was a group of friends and myself had started a nonprofit doing micro loans to women in third world developing countries. I just want to, I just want to interrupt you for one second. I have two things I want to respond to what you said. The first is, yeah, okay. You were 26 and you had a big job, but those people who know that your work ethic is insane. I met you and you were from noon to 11 o'clock at night. I mean, you're insane. So the fact that you did get that job, I'm sorry, but that is you. And number two, how did you start this nonprofit? It didn't just happen. How did you start this nonprofit to give microloans? It was out of a failed nonprofit. So it was a group of women who had already been doing this for years. That was a society of professional females, entrepreneurs, who were doing booster events for established nonprofits and giving them 95% of the profits and keeping 5% for ourselves because we're really good at throwing parties. And so the outcome of that was what I was doing in the evenings whenever I had a chance was far more gratifying than what I was doing for the day. Which, by the way, I mean, what bigger impact can you have on somebody's life than their home, right? So I enjoyed real estate. I enjoyed escrow. But one, it was grueling. Nobody gets paid enough in that industry. And number two, it didn't bring me a lot of joy. It's true. I did have an office on Beverly Hills. I had an assistant and an expense account and an assigned parking spot. But I also had really high commission schools. It was a really hard job. And so it was a little bit of naivety. It was a little bit of a desire to, if I'm going to work this hard, I'm going to work this hard and cry at my desk over something that has an impact and not just making the business owner or shareholders or whatever it is richer. So then I met you through our friend Tom and I told you I wanted to leave my job. And what did you tell me at that point? Oh, I just want to repeat what you said because I think it's important for people to hear it. You had a corner office. You had an expense account. You were making six figures. You were young at the time, by the way. Don't worry, I'll always be older than you. And you came to me and you were like, hey, I want to get into nonprofit and make no dollars. And I said to you, don't do it. You're an idiot. That is a true story. I cannot lie about that. You were like, no, no, I really want to do it. And turns out you and I worked together at an organization serving kids in nature. And how do I feel about nature, Allison? Only marginally better than you feel about kids. So tolerate nature. 
the tolerant nature. When I die, okay, and I want everybody to hear this, when I die, what are you doing? I'm going to take some of your money, yeah. right? And I am going to go to a very lovely park where there are lots of people and children and maybe there are ducks in the pond. And I'm going to find the most prolific bench I can in the shadiest spot. And I'm going to dedicate that bench. And it's going to say to Matt Kamen, who hated this park and everybody in it. That's true. That's what your story. We are not joking. It's going <laughs> to You tell me what the environment's done for you. I don't know. Well, I mean, it does cause climate change. But since my husband works at a climate satellite, it also helps to pay the bills around here. So thank you, climate. So you came to work at this organization with me making, what, 12 bucks an hour, I think, right? I mean, you should remember, what did you offer me? <laughs> I mean, what I offered you and what we paid you have to be legal. Okay, so you and I went to a foster youth organization. This should be the serious part of the conversation. And it truly was falling apart, right? They hadn't made payroll. They hadn't paid for health insurance. They hadn't paid payroll taxes. Buildings were falling apart. They didn't have money for food for the kids. And it was just in complete disrepair. And to your credit, because you ultimately are a good person, which is very annoying, you got a tour of the organization. You saw the kids hanging out. And I was, hey, you want to come work with me? I can't promise you're going to have a paycheck ever. And I certainly can't promise you're going to keep a job. But come on, do it again. And you were like, okay. Okay. So what can we tell folks that we learned at that homeless shelter? If somebody really, really, really wants to get into a nonprofit like you did, now they sit down across from you, right? They take you out for coffee and they're like, hey, Allison, I really want to get into nonprofit. What do you tell them? I guess I would say uh, if you're ready to have your heart broken a little bit, but help some really amazing places in the interim, then you should do it as long as you are already a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> then I think it's the smartest move. If you are already very rich, I think that nonprofit's a great place to go to be. But it's really hard to get in. I mean, it's expensive. I literally went from an organization where I was already at director level to making less than our office manager at the time had made. And really, I am grateful for the opportunity. I got to learn things and move my way up in a way that you can only do in small companies. But it was expensive. So I would say, yes, but be aware. It's an expensive journey. You really have to be into it. Yeah. And I joke as much as I do. And I think people who know you and know me and know us. Yes, absolutely. I said to you, don't do it. You're stupid. A hundred percent. But at the end of the day, and I mean it when I say it, any, and I say it every time people ask, nonprofits in my blood. Nonprofit is what I am. Nonprofit is what I believe in through and through, and I'm not doing anything else. So as much as yes, I joke and I do, this job is really important to me. What we do is really important. And so when I met you and I knew that you were going to do that, truly, I was very blessed that you did that, truly. Okay, what you said is really important for people to hear. It isn't that easy to get into nonprofit. You're not gonna get a job right away that's gonna pay you a lot and it's gonna cost you a lot of money. And I think that that's really important because I think what we do in nonprofit is we expect people to work for less money and we, in a sense, keep people living in poverty, which is not okay, not okay at all. So how do we do better, Allison? First of all, a lot of people that complain a lot about government inefficiency and government waste and nonprofit inefficiency and nonprofit waste. And they love to hold up our 990s and say, look at all this money you spent on administration. Look at all this. That's a view that is inherently anti-investment. And so when you say that, 
you strip the investment, you strip the resources out of nonprofits, you demand that people come into the job, no ability to train on the job, you're going to get an inefficient, ineffective system. And so you have to invest. Social infrastructure is still infrastructure. You've got to put the dollars in and the investment in. You've got to be okay with people having working laptops and the latest software, because if not, of course, it's going to be ineffective. So I think the answer is much more macro. People have to do more for charity. You cannot outsource compassion. You cannot outsource efficiency. We have to start treating the social sector and our nonprofits and our education like we treat every major investment. And that is full of resources and the best talented people. And then you're going to start getting the results that you really want to get. So I think that's really interesting, by the way, because I think we all hear, right, nonprofits to boast and they're like, oh, only 10% of the dollar that you give goes to admin. The rest goes to programming. But that's not possible. And also, that's not investing. So are you saying that people have to be okay with every dollar that they give, maybe half goes to admin? Is that what we're talking about? You're not looking at a flashpoint. You're looking at the longitude, right? What has been the long-term investment and what have been the long-term Results. One year, you might have a lot in infrastructure and investments. And one year, maybe five years down the line, you're not going to. And there's a saying about fundraising is fundraising is sitting under the tree that somebody else planted. And I believe that very much about nonprofits in general, that you have to invest early on and often at a loss. I mean, businesses aren't expected to do that, right? What percentage of small businesses fail? And we expect nonprofits not to just start off on that level where you're almost at the brink of failure all the time, but then we expect you to maintain it. And then if you don't do things the way that I think you should do things, I'm going to not donate to you anymore. Oh, you, I don't think that you should have a gala. That's it. No money for you. So I, it's, a, it's a whole society change about how, how we look at the social sector. So should we title this nonprofit either Matt hated nature and everything in it, or Allison says there's a whole social change that needs to happen in the nonprofit sector? Oh, I think that the bench story is much more interesting. But truly, I am so tired of nonprofits saying only 10% or 11% or 9% go to admin. Because again, if nonprofits ruled the world, if we ruled the world, we'd all still be using a typewriter. And it shouldn't be that way. And so I want everybody to hear what you said, that we should be investing and spending more money in admin than we do. And it should be okay. And our expectations should change, right? That's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Headline, consultant says, spend more on infrastructure. Okay, Allison, but then here's the question. Does Envision Consulting count as that investment in admin? Absolutely. Oh, wow. So you're saying we should make money. I love it. I'm in. I'm behind it. The kind of leadership that you get, the kind of strategy that you get, it should propel nonprofits forward. Multiple increments of the investment. And so just I think that you should have latest computer with the latest software, I think you shouldn't settle for the talent that comes through the door. I think you should see what else is out there. I think you shouldn't settle for a homegrown strategic plan. I think you should try to see how much broader you can get and get the most possible impact for your dollar. Hey, I'm with you. I'm behind you. I think that's great. And can we go back? Let's revisit that homeless shelter really quickly. So you and I took a job where we weren't paying ourselves and we couldn't afford to pay ourselves. The organization was broken in every single way. And through a lot of teamwork, 
lot of work and a lot of dedication and big donors, by the way. Yeah, some really outstanding angel donors that did not get enough credit for saving that organization. So it was saved. But the point of this is that you and I had the opportunity of a lifetime and you and I threw a rock concert. We didn't even know what the hell we were doing. And we put on a rock concert. Have you talked about the rock concert before? <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't listen to these shows either. So I have no idea. Yeah, we, we threw a rock concert and not just a rock concert, an amazing rock concert with Slash, who is under-recognized for his philanthropic efforts, and Ozzy Osbourne and Billy Idol, Chester Bennington, Wolf Mother, Dave Navarro. It was an amazing, incredible concert, and they donated everything. We produced a, a rock show, you with your outstanding fundraising skills really good at getting money and I'm really good at spending it. Mm -hmm. And then so back to the bar, right? So so now we're what, two years past, maybe a year past the concert. And at this point, I mean, those kids, they weren't sleeping on real beds when we started there. The walls did not meet the floor. They were eating sour cream sandwiches for lunch. There was some good work being done there. And the staff there were incredible for dealing with all of that. And they did it for the kids. By the time we left there, thanks again to those amazing donors, the houses, there were three of them, were, re were rehabbed at that point, all redone. The walls met the floors. Not only were the kids in new donated beds, we had a laundry service and we had a meal schedule and compliance teams and just very, very different. But then, as always does, whenever you make any kind of meaningful change, somebody came to us. Not just somebody, many somebodies came to us and said, hey, guess what? You guys suck. We hate everything that you've done. Everything that you've done is bad. And uh, that was a little disheartening. Let's be honest, Allison. We forced people to wear a uniform. It wasn't even a uniform, by the way. It was just a t-shirt. And we forced people to have cards to get into the building, which was a big deal, I guess. And we actually held people accountable so that the kids could go to school and be fed and all those things. I mean, it isn't that they just got mad at us. Although, to be fair, I wouldn't want to work for us. Holy crap, I wouldn't want to work for us. But again, none of our staff are listening to this, so it's fine. Yes, that's the saving uh -huh. grace. <laughs> but yes, and then we had staff come to us and complain, and we were like, hey, all the work that we put into this place, all of the changes that we've made, and now you're just going to complain about a trash can being in your office or whatever. And we were like, let's just do this as a consulting company. And that is how Envision was started. Yep, let's just do this as a consulting company. Because the brilliant thing about a consultant is, please blame me, right? Please blame me later. Tell everybody it was my terrible idea. And you go on and you build the foundation and you grow the organization. By the way, that organization has grown and thrived since then. And if they really dislike us since then, that's fine. I, I sleep just fine at night because sometimes it's necessary to upend things. Sometimes it's necessary to question why things have been done a certain way. Sometimes it's necessary to make some very unpopular choices because it's not about you or me or the egos. It's about the cause. And in that case, it was about where those kids slept at night. I want everybody to understand what Allison's saying because you and I have this story, but we're not the best at explaining it because we know it. But when we came into this organization, as Allison said, there were, the buildings were falling apart. There were rats running around because the walls didn't meet this floor, as you said. Kids didn't have food to eat. I remember on my first day, there was a car accident on the freeway because they didn't actually have money to take care of the cars and there was no air in the tires. And literally the tires went flat on the freeway. And thankfully nobody was hurt. 
when I'm talking about investing in infrastructure, nobody was doing that. And we really did make that organization. But in the process, we questioned everything. And one of those things that we questioned was making sure kids had to go to school, right? Because when the organization started, they actually didn't have kids go to school. They didn't force kids to go to school. And we changed that. And that pissed a lot of people off. So I think what is really important for people to understand is that when you do work at a nonprofit, when you give to a nonprofit, when you think about starting a nonprofit, you have to ask why, right? You have to ask why and also how do I know? How do I know that I'm making an impact? How do I prove that I'm making an impact? That's kind of what keeps me going. That's what keeps me going. And I think also in a microcosm, to some extent, there has to be a little bit of faith there too, right? And we've talked about this many times. We sit behind a line of cars and there's someone on the corner who's very in need and they're panhandling. And I have watched the people in the cars around me giving money frustrated, saying there are all these agencies who are trying to help and here you are handing money directly. But the difference is, I think when we hand the money directly, you're saying you may not use this the way I think you should use it, but you're using it the best way that you can to take care of you. And I think some of that grace could be afforded to nonprofits. I understand why it's not all the time, not the least of which are some of the things that we've encountered. But if nonprofits got just a little bit more grace about that, knowing what's best for them, I think we would get a lot further. Okay. Well, I think it's time for you and I to get off of our little soapbox about nonprofits. And oh, I thought that's what this whole thing was going to be. No, I think that we should, first of all, talk about what it's to own a company. So we started this company 12 years ago, and we have grown since then. Again, we didn't have a business plan. We didn't have money in the bank. We didn't have clients. We literally, for three days, met at my house and then decided to, because it just didn't work, we got a tiny, 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 tiny closet as an office. That was 12 years ago. Now we have three offices around the country. We've got 12 staff. We're doing pretty well. We served 85 clients last year, which is amazing. Allison. How in the world did we do this? Sheer dumb luck. Seriously, how did we do this? We did it. We're here. We're around. We may not be around tomorrow. <laughs> Who knows? What would you say? No, you're my interview. No, but I'm here and we're partners. And guess what? This is my idea anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a lot of people come to us to ask about being a consultant, right? And to me, if you're a consultant, you're kind of unemployed until you find your next job. But that's unfair to say because we're consultants. But anyway, I think people always ask, how do you start a consulting company? Should I start a consulting company? Should I do this? Should I have a business serving nonprofits? And I will always say, there's no way that I would be where I am without my partner, period. And so I think that the way that Envision has made it, and we have made it, is because of our partnership, period. If it was just you doing it or just me doing it, I don't believe it would be where it is. I agree. I think you have to have a partnership. Having a partnership, one, you hold each other accountable. Two, having complementary skills is very helpful. Three, I think you have to be all in on any business, unless you are very, very wealthy and you can just invest your money or whatever. I don't think you can do it with a side hustle. I don't think that there's any such thing as passive income. You have to work at it. And for us, while it was incredibly foolhardy for us to quit our well-paying job and do this without a business plan and with a clear look and money in the bank, that that's the only way to do it. I would not do this on my own. I have no desire to be an independent consultant. So you have to have a partnership is, I think, the only way that this works. I agree because also you make me wake up every freaking morning because I have to do a stand up at 930, which, by the way, I realize it's not that early for most people, but for me, 
I am cool having some coffee and using the facilities at 930. I don't want to be in a meeting, but you made me do it. And by the way, if you didn't, I wouldn't wake up. So again, you hold each other accountable, like you said. Okay, so I want to pause. We're halfway through this show. I want to read back the minutes because I want to make sure people understand what we've now talked about. I want to review it, make sure that I've done a good job because to be honest, as I said, I haven't prepared. So let's make sure we did what we needed to do before we do our one-on-one because I think people are listening to this for that reason. So number one, we talked a little bit about you and why I told you you were an idiot to get into nonprofit. Fair? Check. We talked about how you got into nonprofit and my God, how much money you lost by getting into nonprofit, right? Check. We talked about how I quit and I left you in nature for a homeless organization. Check. And then we talked about how you came to work at this homeless organization and how we really did do everything in our power to turn that place around and ultimately really worked hard to make that organization what it is. Correct? Check. Cool. So, and then we talked about how we were idiots and we started a company with no money with no clients, no business plan. And here we are 12 years later. And I got to be honest, if people really are listening to this, it is through sheer luck and tenacity and hard work that we are here. And I am proud of ourselves. I'm proud of this company. I'm proud of us too. Check. Okay, so that's it. That's all I want to say about us. Now that we can move on, I want to talk about 101s. So we served 85 clients last year. We put, let's say, 80 people into jobs. We interviewed a ton of people and we can write a book. Okay. How can somebody who wants to be an ED, who is qualified, how do they get that job, Allison? I'm taking notes. What's an ED? (laughs) It's erectile dysfunction. I want to be an executive director. I no longer suffer from erectile dysfunction. I've taken that pill. Okay. I see a job posting and a vision consulting is put up for an executive director. What do I do? How do I get that job? How good are you at finance? Let's assume that I understand how to read a budget. What is your tolerance for bullshit? (laughs) Why don't you explain what that means? The one thing in nonprofit that both makes sense to me and and baffles me, the idea of a a community-driven board makes sense from an accountability standpoint. They're stewards of the public money. It is a remarkable structure to have community members, volunteer community members come in and, and truly on a volunteer basis, give up their time and their knowledge to, to govern a nonprofit board. However, many of them have never run a business, let alone a nonprofit. Many of them have no idea what it takes to be a nonprofit. Many of them are your friends that you talked into doing it. And now they've got to hold you accountable. And what an incredibly tough balance that is. So what we lack in pay, we make up for in bullshit. <laughs> wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. That's the title of this. <laughs> we lack in pay, we make up in bullshit. Holy crap. Allison, we're never getting hired again. You and I are never getting hired again. Whose idea was this stupid interview? Maybe of? I should rephrase it then. What we lack in, in pay, we make up for in ego. And that's everybody's ego. That's my ego, certainly. That's the ego of my friends that I hoodwinked into being on this board. And now they're trying to do their job, having no idea what my job actually is. And they need help and they need guidance. And most of them are way smarter than me. And so there's the push and pull of the board, which is one part of it. And then there's a push and pull of just managing employees. And so last week we did two interviews back to back and we asked somebody, what's the best part of your job? And with a smile on their face said, managing people. And we said, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And then we did another interview after that, and we asked, 
the another candidate the exact same question what's the best part of your job and that candidate said it's the best and the worst part of my job is managing people and that's a more authentic answer so it's wonderfully rewarding and terribly hard to manage people if you're good at it you should write a book and be a consultant forever because very few people are very good at it and so how good are you at managing egos both on above you and below you what's your tolerance for having that management then managing budgets managing contracts if you want to be an ed uh, and you haven't run away screaming at this point then the other thing you should want is you should have some vision and i think that we have a lot of really wonderful practitioners that come to us that are just really good at doing their job and, and maybe sort of good at handling the people but when it comes to vision Maybe not so much. And I think that's, that's the number one thing that boards are looking for when we interview. We will have a great interview and the person will be very qualified for the job and the interview screen closes and we move on to the next candidate. Because by the way, we don't have feedback immediately after candidates. We force boards to wait until after they've met all the candidates. And they will say that candidate was so qualified and I really enjoyed meeting them, but they just really had no vision. And I'm depending on this executive director, this ED, to lead me fearlessly through all the hardship and through all nonsense and through all the people because I see the North Star and I see where we're going. And so I think without vision and all the hard skills, it's just a very difficult grinding job. You have to have a North Star. So if somebody is going to interview for a job, they see our posting, they apply, they really want it. How are they going to share their vision if they're not there? I don't think that you should apply for a mission that you're not passionate about. Which goes against the whole kids and nature thing. <laughs> I think the job is too hard to apply for to be an ED of a mission that you are not incredibly in on. And so the most important questions is why this job, right? And, and everybody asks you why this job. If the answer is anything close to because I deserve it then you probably do deserve it, by the way. Nobody is saying that you don't deserve this job. You've, you've probably earned it. But will you last at it? Will you enjoy it? Can you deal with the sheer amount of nonsense that will be thrown at you to do this job? And without that guiding light to guide you, I just don't think that you should apply for the job. So the answer is not only should you be well qualified, you should be really passionate because that's what's going to help you sleep at night. So just to go back to one thing, I moved to L.A. and I needed a job and I did take that executive director job for those kids in nature. And yes, the truth is I don't truly care about nature, but I did care about those kids getting those services. I did care about those kids being able to see a beach, right? We all take so much for granted. The truth is you do have to be passionate. And when you come into an interview, if you can't explain why the world would end if that organization didn't exist, you shouldn't apply. You just shouldn't apply. So it's interesting because if people listen to us and people talk to us, they hear negativity. I can talk shit about nonprofit all day long, but it's what I do, right? And if, if Envision didn't exist, I probably would be an ED again, probably. So why should somebody want to be an ED? Give like the positive. Why should somebody want to be an erectile dysfunction of a nonprofit? Because of the things that you can do. I mean, without you... Those homes would not have been rebuilt. 
And so the things that you can do, the impact you can have is on a scale of nothing else, almost in any sector. So to look back on your life and to say, because of me, one person is no longer homeless or one person got the mental health that they deserved, or we saved 400 dogs or, or whatever it is, right? You don't have that impact. You don't have that opportunity in other sectors and not always in other positions either. That's the only position I think where you have the latitude to make not just incremental change, but structural and sometimes systemic change. So you should want to do it. Okay. When are you giving me your notice to take over a nonprofit, just so I know? I've given you my notice several times. <laughs> Every single day I go into Allison's office and I'm, here you go, I quit. She's sorry, too late. I've already given notice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we've talked about why truly somebody should want to be an executive director. Can you please, if you think about it, Give us the the one thing that you should never do, never say in an interview. Somebody said this to us in an interview once. And after they said it, I think they ended the interview early. It was for a CFO job, I think. And they said, this job will be much easier because nonprofits aren't supposed to make money. <laughs> That's what I want to leave for profit because nonprofits aren't supposed to make money. And that'll be, make my job much easier as a CFO. And we laughed and she was like, I can tell by your reaction that that was a bad answer. So I'm just going to go ahead and exit out this door. See you later. And we were so busy laughing. I think we just silently waved her off through our laughing tears. You didn't answer the question. Wait, what was the question? <laughs> the question honestly is, what is the one thing that you should not do in an interview? You should not assume that the interviewer hasn't read all the same articles that you did about how to prep for that interview because I probably actually watch more interview prep videos, TikToks, Reels, YouTubes than you do. I probably read more articles about how to trick the interviewer. This isn't a trick test. We do ask some tough questions. They're not gotcha questions, but you should stop and think before you answer some of these questions, right? They're not all on the surface, but you should not spend the whole interview, whether it's my interview or any of the people that, that we compete against, don't spend the interview trying to outsmart us. It's not a game. It's not a, something that you can fake. You wouldn't want that job anyway, if you could fake it. And if you treat it that way, you are guaranteed not to move on. I don't care how smart you are. If the interviewer senses that you're trying to put one over on them, either by being vague about answers or using some trick that you saw on reels, it's over for you. I will not move you forward. And I think that's the same of any interviewer. Have you moved people forward that you don't like? Yes. Why? Because they could do the job. It's not about me liking them. It's about whether or not they could do the job. And if somebody comes in and, and they sit in front of an interviewer and they're asked a question, they don't know the answer. They literally don't know the answer. What should they say? I want the honest truth. I'm not going to not move you forward because you don't know as long as you talk through it with me and think about it. But if you try and pull one on me, I'm not moving you forward. So that's what I would say. Agreed. I think actually the most dangerous person in a job is a person who doesn't know what they don't know. And so that's why some of those questions are layered because some of them you, you might not ever know. And that's okay. We've learned so many lessons in our jobs, both as interim, as consultants, in situations that we've never come across before. 
And it is not weakness to say, actually, I don't know. Or actually, I've never done that before. Can we talk about that a little bit? And actually, in some of those really hard questions, we're looking for your thought process. My husband is a genius. And so he's done interviews at the big tech companies. And they ask you crazy questions. How many jelly beans can you fit in a 747 or things like that? And, and the answer is less about the answer than it is about the process. And so in the interviews that he's done, it's him and 24 engineers and it's him and a whiteboard. And he has to talk about the code that he was going to write for that, for said problem. And people ask questions along the way. Well, why did you do that? Well, why did you do this versus that? And it's so smart to understand how people solve problems because we're all going to come across problems every day that we've never encountered before, that we don't have an expert on site. And there's a lot of people who try to shortcut their way in, out of those questions. They would say, oh, I would hire a lawyer. Oh, I would hire a finance person. Oh, I know a lot of people in HR. And all you told me that way is that you're not invested in, in how we actually came to the solution. You're invested in somebody else solving it for you. And so just be honest, just say, boy, I don't know. Okay. Let me ask some more questions about the scenario you just gave me. Is this true? Is that true? Well, I think I would do this. And then I, hmm, wow, this is tough. So some of the best interviews that we've had, the candidate was still stumped at the end on how to answer that question. And the best part about them is how thoughtful they were and, and honest about not knowing the answer. Yeah. And this is so important for board members. Not one person knows everything, period. And you need to surround yourself with the team and you need to be okay saying, hey, I don't know. And that's why I have this team. Okay. What's your favorite question to ask in an interview? My favorite question to ask is what would somebody who does not like you very much? They don't like you. And I pull up next to them at the bar and I say, oh, Matt Keeman, Matt Keeman, I've just met Matt Keeman. And they say, oh, I know Matt Keeman. Let me tell you about him. What would this person who does not like you very much say about you? I love that question. Why? A couple of reasons. One, because first of all, people right away start peddling madly into what's your weakness question. And this isn't a weakness question. Two, because I think that is the most universal part of being an executive director is there is somebody who is not going to like you. And I believe firmly that if you have never had anybody that does not like you, Either you've probably never done anything big enough to have people dislike you, or number two, you can't bear the thought of people disliking you, then you're never going to do anything big enough so that you would make big change. And some of these organizations really need change. So I think it's a self-awareness question. I think it's a, a moment of weakness question where I've caught you at a time where you really have to be honest. And we've had some very good conversations with people who are in amazing nonprofits, and they've done amazing things who said, yeah, actually, I really do need to be liked. And then the question goes, well, how do you deal with that? Because you're going to have to let some people go and you're going to have to make some big changes and you're going to upset somebody. And, and that leads to some really thoughtful discussions. And again, it's just about knowing yourself and knowing what you're good at and what you're not and being honest about it. But yeah, if you don't think anybody dislikes you, I've got news for you. There is somebody out there. I've Fortunately, I've been so blessed, Matt. There's been so many people who have told me exactly why they don't like me. So what a gift that is. I'm ready for that question. I know what you're saying. And I think that is also one of my favorite questions 
And if any of you are listening and you are going to be interviewed by us, you will get that question probably. And really think about it. I know the answer for me is that somebody would say I'm an asshole, but I know better than you and that I don't care. And it's kind of true, but it's also what makes me a really good consultant because I will tell you what I think. And if you don't listen to me, that's fine. But I do think I know better than you. When you ask me those questions, what would somebody else and who doesn't like you, what would they say about you? I have three things. One is that I don't listen. Two is that I'm too structured. Cookie cutter is a word that has been used. I'm process driven. I just am. I'm a linear thinker. And so I know that's upsetting to some people, but it is my problem solving method and I am working on it. And the third is that I'm just too ambitious. I'm a tenacious perfectionist, even to myself and to my family. And yeah, I can't help it. The one thing I do want to talk to you about is DEI, because I am so tired of people saying that they care about DEI, that it's so important to them, that this is the number one thing they care about, but they don't. And I'm just really curious as somebody out there who's going to look for an executive director as I am a board member or I'm an executive director and I'm looking for a director of development, whatever it is, and we talk about DEI, what in the world does it actually mean? What the hell does it actually mean? And how do we really know that we mean it when we say that we want it? I get asked about DEI probably because I'm Latino. And so I get asked a lot. I think it's strange, the sudden interest, but I'm happy to answer. I think real equity means equal pay. And real equity means transferable skills. And real equity means not just being at the table, but actually having an impact on the decisions that are made. We can have struggle sessions all day and you can recognize the privilege that you have and the immense privilege that it is to work in this industry. You can be incredibly woke and aware, but until you're willing to pay people the same, until you're willing to take some hard looks at the credentialism within your organization and really, honestly, have a real good think about why it is that you're willing to pay somebody with a master's degree with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, less than a living wage, you've really got some thinking to do. And that's most of the industry, frankly. And the fact that nonprofits are out there fighting to get an exemption to minimum wage laws and then at the same time wanting to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion? No, you're not. So that's super harsh, but it's true. Address your own credentialism. Don't just tell me you have privilege. What are you going to do about it? Bring in more people that may not have had the opportunity to work for a nonprofit and cannot afford to take out the nonprofit MBA that I took out, which is the debt that we took on in order to work in the nonprofit sector. And by the way, the reason that I met with you, Matt came in, is because I had been turned down by so many other nonprofit leaders. I met with CEO after CEO who said, boy, you haven't got a great resume. I have just no idea why you're not getting a job. Peace out. Nice to see you. And you were the first person that said, first of all, that's a stupid idea. But also be honest with me, right? And say, hey, look, you don't have the skills that I'm ideally looking for. And Nonprofits aren't big on non-transferable skills. I don't actually know what this means in your resume. You're the first person that was honest with me. And so that, that's equity, right? That's inclusion. Bringing people on who don't fit a very specific mold and being willing to learn with them and invest, 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 so that you end up with incredibly loyal and well-trained individuals that want to stay with you.
I hope that this is something that people hear. I really do. Honestly, like, I really do hope that we get more than one listener for this. But what is so interesting about the DEI argument is I think people just think of the D and they don't really think about anything else. But consulting just did a, a survey and a whole report. And what I didn't realize is that when you want to talk about diversity, that Latinos make up the most amount of employees at nonprofits, period. But they are also the most underpaid at nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And so if we want to talk about diversity as much as we do, that's cool, but we're just not paying. And I am so sick of listening to people talking about, oh, we're minority run, so we're fine, but everybody else should be willing to make minimum wage. It's just not the way this works. And I will tell you that my biggest beef and I've always felt this, always since day one, is that you don't need a degree, period. You do not need a college degree for any job at a nonprofit, except maybe if you're a doctor or a therapist, you don't need a college degree, period. You don't. And I get fought on that all the time. But you do not. We are very privileged if we can afford to go to college, period. I don't think people understand. That. No, they don't understand that. Going to college and being able to take on debt on the promise that you're going to get a job later when nobody in your family has gotten a job like that ever. What a gamble. And and by the way, I come from from parents who said, you're not going to get that kind of job. Therefore, you're just wasting time right now. Go get a job at your cousin's restaurant. Go get a job with your dad who works for this other company. Stop wasting time. And by the way, my parents are not wrong. They're very pragmatic. I get a lot of flack for that opinion, but it's true. How many people do we have banging down our door with four-year degrees, fighting for, for minimum wage jobs? And that's wrong. So it's an incredible privilege to be able to afford to get a degree. And then on top of it, take out all this debt. And now we'd like you to make $16 an hour. That is just crazy to me. And why don't we have any diversity in our workforce except at the lowest levels? Well, now you want them to go get a master's degree so that they can manage people. There's very few master's degrees in managing people. Even if you sent them there, that's only academic. They've never had to terminate somebody whose life depends on this job and had to terminate somebody and watch that reaction. You have to be willing to walk that walk with people and nonprofits can't in many cases, but sometimes just won't. Then one last question on this topic. Do you think that senior staff should be making as much as they're making when their line staff are making minimum wage? Again, line staff, to me personally, are the most important part of any nonprofit because they're the ones actually working with the clients, period. So do you think that your senior staff should be making so much money when your line staff aren't? I think it should be a measure of their effectiveness. So when you come on and we negotiate a very generous salary for you, one of the top things that you should be doing in your first two years is to close the gap between you and the staff. I know that we're strangled by funders. I know that we're strangled by contracts. I believe me, I am not in any way implying that that's an easy trade-off at all. And if I could solve it, I'd have a Nobel Prize. But I think that there should be some real hard introspection about living wages. And what a luxury for us to say that, by the way, as consultants, right? There should be some real introspection about what you make and the lowest paid person at your organization makes. There's a very well-respected CEO of a nonprofit that I've never liked, by the way, 
And that CEO makes over $500,000 a year. And that CEO always talks about DEI, always talks about investing, and always talks about poverty and this, that, and the other. But that CEO's line staff makes minimum wage. And I am so frustrated that that CEO is so well-liked and so well-respected and that that CEO makes as much in foundation grants and donations and has such a phenomenal board when that CEO's staff is making minimum wage. And that's the kind of stuff that drives me crazy. So on that note, I'm going to stop us being so serious. I want to end with a few kind of just funny stuff. And then maybe we can do a quick wrap up. Is that okay with you? Or is there anything else that you want to add on the DEI topic before our listener falls asleep in the car? Oh, I think that Ashley edited this whole part out. And she should have because it's endlessly boring if you're not interested in, in this. But I will add something. I do think that part of a community board is to hold people accountable to stuff this. A board is supposed to ask tough questions about things like compensation. And so if you don't like it, join a board. And then you you help us to make it right. That's our last listener. Now this is the worst interview you've ever done. <laughs> so I'm going to bring this back for one second. Why should people out there donate? Why should we care about nonprofit? Why do you and I have a for-profit business serving nonprofits? What is so great about nonprofits? Excuse me. I thought you were the fundraiser. This is your interview. You can interview me later. I think that there's too much unfairness. People ask why people in big cities are so progressive. And I think in big cities and urban centers, you have a front row seat to how unfair life can be. You have a front row seat to bad things happening to good people. And it changes you. And I think we all inherently want somebody to tip the hand the other way. And the sad and gratifying part about it is that you're the only one that can do it right? You really cannot outsource compassion. You can't give it to somebody else. We can't hope somebody else is going to do it. Literally, it's what you and I and everybody else chooses to do all day. So maybe you don't have to give up the Gucci bag to make the donation, but maybe you can buy it uh, the mid-level and not the high level and set up a recurring donation or just be a part, tipping the hand back and making it life a little bit more fair. So that, I think that's why you should donate. So, okay, I want one funsy to end this interview. So uh, we always talk about wanting to write a book and every single chapter of something that is ridiculous. And I will tell you mine and then you tell the listener yours. And then we will end this on a high note as to why in the world somebody should hire Envision Consulting and pay us dollars. So my chapter of my book is titled, I am standing here still bleeding. That is the chapter title. And what that was, Suzanne and I did a board retreat at a school and it was really ugly because parents can be difficult. And one of the parents got up and was talking about firing the principal and it was just really ugly. And the parents had just given birth to a child. And she was like, I am standing here still bleeding. That's how important this is for me. And basically that's how important it was for her to fire the principal. I didn't know how to respond to that. I had no idea how to respond to that. I think I did a good job, but that was phenomenal. That's one of my favorite stories of all time. I am standing here still bleeding. That is the chapter title. All right, Allison, what's your favorite? I mean, it was such a riveting story. I was trying to think of what my story was going to be, but I was wrapped up in your story. So I think one of my best stories would be titled, And Mysteriously There Was a Fire. 
And so it was an organization working to rescue animals. I'm not going to say what kind of animals. There are many, many animal rescues. Good luck. And there was an accusation that one location was a covert marijuana growing facility and not the shelter facility that everybody had been led to believe. And it was in a fairly remote area. And so the board decided they were going to take a field trip, dot, dot, dot. And then mysteriously, the building caught fire and they were unable to verify what was going on in said building. So, yeah, so that would be my title. And then mysteriously, the building caught fire. Am I allowed to give one more? Can I give one more fun one? You and I are going to get sued, so that's fine. So uh, my other favorite one was that you and I were interviewed to do some consulting for a nonprofit. And what we found out was said nonprofit, which was founded by this phenomenal woman who everybody loved. Actually, her job was to get women out of jail and give them new lives and all that stuff. And it was really a phenomenal nonprofit that everybody loved. What we found out was that she was prostituting all these ladies and made money off of prostituting these ladies. So that, I don't know what the title would be, but that was pretty amazing. That was pretty amazing. I think the title would be Big Pimpin'. Here's my question, Allison. We have people listening to this show and people want to know how they can get a job. And I feel like we've talked about what you should do to prepare for an interview, what it means to be an executive director, why certain things are really important to be a board member. We've talked about all those things, right? How you got into nonprofit, how Envision came to be. Okay. So you tell me, not that you listen to the show, but you tell me that I never do a good job selling Envision. Okay. So somebody listens to this interview. This is your last chance to have them hire us because they've listened to us. Why should any of these listeners out there hire Envision Consulting for anything for that matter? Because we've been close enough to see it. We've been close enough to do it for the same reason that you hire the most experienced anything. We know what a nonprofit in chaos looks like and what an amazing executive director looks like and what they can do because we've lived it. And so I think you hire us because we've experienced it. And two, we're going to think it through with you. And as much as we're consultants, we both love to hear ourselves talk. It's true. We love it. I'm surprised you don't just play the podcast back to yourself on a loop. Is that what's in your sleep machine? Just you talking back to yourself? I never said that I don't listen to myself all night long. I mean, I think Smarter words have never been spoken than what are on the previous 40 episodes of this show that you haven't listened to. Let me let me ask you one thing. What are you most proud of? You've got two kids. You've got a husband. You've got a family. You talk about your company. You talk about what you do. Honestly, what are you most proud of? I think it changes by the day, but I'll tell you what I was most proud of today. Today, I was having a conversation with a CEO that we placed who just got one of seven grants from the state of California to pilot the state's universal basic income. Groundbreaking. Amazing. The way that she is taking this organization is incredible. It's going to impact so many lives. I think every day it changes. And that is what makes me proud today. How about, did you have a thing today? Jesus, I can't beat that. Me, my thing today is interviewing you, Allison Fuller, and not being so nervous anymore because I think I did get a good job. So how do we end this show? Because I could talk shit all day long, but at the end of the day, 
I truly do believe that our team and our company and what we do and who we work with truly, and I mean this, is the best. We are the best. Every single nonprofit should call us and hire us. Every single nonprofit should say, hey, those are the guys that we want because they're going to find us our next amazing leader. They are going to be able to come in and tell us how to be better because they know and they care, right? I think that you are exceptionally good at this and I am very grateful for you. You are not only a phenomenal fundraiser, you understand boards and finance and operations and governance in ways that takes me a long time to get there, but I got in there. So I'm, I'm very grateful that you took a chance on me to learn with you and to do this business with you. I'm very grateful. I do love my job and I am grateful for the people that trust us with their nonprofits, with the founders who started this from nothing and then trust us to find the people that they're going to hand off their legacy to or to chart their next three to five year strategic plan or to think about a merger partner. What an incredible honor to do that work. I love this job. I love you. I really, as much as I complain every day, we really do make a huge impact and we do make a huge impact. And Envision Consulting would not be what it is because of you, period, full stop. And so I thank you for not listening to this show. I thank Ashley for making us sound better than we do. And I really hope that any of you who are listening, A, do look us up and see what we do. B, hear that we actually do care. And C, prepare for an interview with us because we are a pain in the ass. But if we like you, or even if we don't like you, if we think you're going to do a good job, we will move you forward. That's what I got. I've been, I'm on my third drink. Is there anything else, Allison, that you want to end this show with before we let Ashley ruin it with her editing? So to end the show, I will say, one, that it's what a privilege it is to work for Envision, what a privilege it is to work in the nonprofit sector. There is room for you in the nonprofit sector. So there is room for you on a board. There is room for you in a nonprofit. There is room for you in leadership. Apply for that job because there's so much impact to be done. And so while I took a very unconventional way to get into the nonprofit sector, I would recommend it every single day. That's my little pitch at the end. Yeah, such a good way to end it. All right, Allison Fuller, you still are an idiot for wanting to get into nonprofit. However, I agree. There is no greater joy that I have every day than to see the impact that we make. And on that note, my friend, a very, very hearty, empty glass on my end, but full glass on your end. Cheers to you for A, every day, thanking the Lord that you get to work with me, and B, every day, putting up with my bullshit. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Matt. And what'd you think of our episode with Allison Fuller? If I give my honest opinion, do I still have a job? Because both of you are my bosses. Just tread lightly. Okay, got it. So backing up, best episode we've ever had, bar none. Bar none. Yeah. Although by saying that, what you're saying is everybody else sucked. And that's not very nice, Ashley. That's <laughs> very nice. I can't win here. It really was just an awesome episode. And I just hope that our listeners came away from that with some nuggets of information that they find helpful either in their own nonprofit work or 
honestly, there is just a lot of really good life nuggets, no matter what it is you do in this world. Yeah, I agree. And I'm very, very excited for season five because Ashley, just so you know, you still have a job. That is the most exciting part about season five. The fact that there is a season five and that I'm producing it despite my mediocrity. I never said you were producing it. I just said you had a job. I didn't wait. This is a little awkward. Well, you know, we're doing a whole new format. And so we'll see. You know what? We'll play it by ear. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, it is a new format and maybe I need to go through an interview process. I think, you know, if you actually did listen to Allison and my show, you'll learn how to do an interview and maybe maybe we'll fix that this time. But I am very excited about this next season. It's going to be a brand new format. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then we'll see what we're going to do for season six. And I think you and I are really excited about this new season, this new format, and just kind of mixing things up. Like we've had a really great run of the way we've done things, but I think we feel like we're ready to grow in a new direction. We think our listeners are ready to get some more in-depth discussions. We'll tease our format and give you guys a little more information about how we're going to do this before we drop the first episode of season five. So that'll be fun. Yeah. And in between, we'll still do interviews. It's not like we're dropping the entire format of Nonprofit on the Rocks. We're just going to be adding some things that folks have been actually asking us about. I'm really proud to say that people have actually reached out to me and have these ideas. And that's really helpful. And given that we're doing sort of like some longer matsplains of sorts, does this mean I have to play the matsplain music under you for like the whole episode? I mean, I feel like people really enjoy it. 30 minute dance party. Yes, I have a really good idea, Ashley. We're going to make a video of you just dancing the whole time. (laughs) That sounds like the podcast everybody wants, especially in an audio medium. Just me dancing. That's it. Makes a whole lot of sense. That's it. That's it. That's it. But yeah, I am excited about this. I love to change things up, but I also love to get really great information out there, especially for people who are asking for it. And I think around fundraising, if you look at what's happening, there are so many job openings right now for development positions. And so this hopefully will be really helpful for all of that, for the nonprofits who are looking, for the folks who are looking to get into fundraising, for the folks who are looking to move up in fundraising. That's going to be our first few episodes. Well, and I think we're listening to listener feedback. You kind of mentioned that. When people respond to listening to our show and what they're enjoying, yes, they enjoy listening to who these people are behind the scenes running these nonprofits. There's something really interesting to hear how people got into nonprofit and who they are as people. But I do think what people particularly gravitate to is these nuggets of which you and Allison gave so many in this last episode of like, how can we do this and do this better? Yes, that is all true. And as I said, it's just been such a great journey on this show. And we are actually like over two years in, 40 episodes in, some really phenomenal people interviewed. And we're going to continue with more phenomenal information. And hopefully we'll even get bigger and more folks listening. So with that, I think, is there anything else that we should leave our poor listener before they get real excited to listen to season five? I just want to shout out Genevieve, our listener, for sticking with us. If we actually went through with the potties, which was our idea for the podcast awards that we were going to create, Genevieve, you would definitely win for best listener, only listener. But truthfully, for everyone who's been listening to us for the past four seasons, thank you so much. We do this for you guys. And um, it's been a real privilege to do it. All right. Well, that's the end of season four on to season five. And starting this new year of 2023. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thanks, Matt.